0: the first reading is from Deuteronomy it's chapter 5. We're reading verses 1 to 11. And Moses summoned all Israel and said, hear Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us and with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not have any other gods before me. For the Lord will hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name.
1: Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word.
2: Our great God and Father, we, we say it often, it's easy to take for granted, but we thank you and we praise you that you've revealed yourself. We're not guessing what you're like. We're not uncertain of your character. You have revealed yourself and you address us now in your words. Father, would we respond rightly? Would we worship you, respond to you as you've revealed yourself? Would we do so for that brings honor to you? It also is good for us. It's truth. Father, please be amongst us so we respond rightly to your revelation of yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I don't know about you, how do you, um, how do you take your burger? How do you take your burger these days? Um, there's uh, lots of different ways, obviously. Uh, so at the weekend, my family and I, we, we went to Five Guys for a, a crazily overpriced burger. Um, but you don't do it very often. But of course, they, like many other places, you know, okay, your choice of six things, I don't know that one. Uh, and then, uh, which of these fifteen toppings are you alive? I don't know. Yeah, uh, yes, jalapenos, yes. You know, sauce, yes. Uh, yes, pick, but pickles, mm-hmm. um, barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. No, that one, that one. And you take your pick and uh, mushrooms mm-hmm. uh, and whatever. You, it's got quite a lot of variety. And, uh, there's a queue backs up behind you, and that's probably why they charge you ten times uh, what the burger probably costs. But it's good and it's tasty. But um, you know, a bit of variety. How do you take your burger? How do you take your God? Because that is the way that lots of people think. I'll uh I'll have the Christian God. Yeah, no, what's, what's your basic choice? So you sort of Allah, no, no, Christian no no no. Uh, Christian God, biblical god, yeah, I'll have that one. And um but uh I'll have um well I don't want um I don't want judgment, no, I don't want that. Uh, a little extra spicy sex, I'll have a bit of that. Um would you like a commitment with that? Oh, no, I don't want commitment. Uh, I, don't, I don't want any obligations on me at all. Uh, perhaps a little side order of forgiveness. I don't need much, but just a little bit. I'll probably share it with someone else. Um, I don't need very much. And that too often in the world outside or the world inside a church. It's slightly how people think. Yeah, I'll have God, but like this. Uh, I'll sort of shave that bit off, because I don't like that, you know, I'm not sure what that, that, that when he says he, he, he hates Eve, but when he says, oh, I don't know, what have we got here? He's jealous, well, get rid of that, that's nasty, I don't like that, don't want that bit of God, take away the pickles for goodness sake, um, take away that, I don't want that, but some things, are, you know, I'll have that, and perhaps a little bit more of that, I'll slightly pick and choose, I'll frame my God as I desire, if I may, and that is precisely the issue of the second commandment, which says, don't do that. You don't make for yourself God. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above. But in the end, the essence is, you, you, don't, you don't worship God as you fancy. You do so as he's revealed himself. You don't get to choose. You don't get a burger God to slightly tweak, add, subtract, as you desire. Now, you, you respond to him as he is, as he's revealed himself. Now, we started looking at these 10 words. Uh, it's literally what the, the book calls them, 10 words. Never actually calls them the 10 commandments. But uh, the 10 words, we started looking at them last week. And uh, last week, the first commandment, really the question of the first commandment is, who who should you worship? And uh, the answer is, you worship the Lord who saved you. Uh, Verse 6 and 7, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. Question, who should I worship? Answer, the God who saved me. Okay. The second commandment is a bit different. The question is, how do I worship him? Not who. Who do I worship? The God who saved me. How do I worship him? Well, as he tells you to. The, the first word or first commandment then is don't worship false gods. The second is don't worship the true God falsely. You see the difference? First, primarily who you worship the Lord. How? As he tells you to, not as you choose to make up. Now, there's a bit of an overlap, and sometimes people get a bit confused, because in the Old Testament, that the word image or or idol gets used in two ways. It gets used of a false god, so you might make a false god like Molech uh, or Baal, uh, but it also gets used of worshipping the true god falsely. So it gets used in both those senses. But here in the ten words, number one, who? The Lord. Number two, how? As he tells you. And we'll also look at the third tonight, because they overlap a little. It's related. Don't dishonor the Lord in how you speak or live for him. Last comment before we get going. Uh, If you did miss last week, it's important to recognize these 10 words, they're given to a people that God has saved. So these are not rules to get you in. Salvation is always a gift that is received from God, not one you achieve yourself. Just the fundamental direction is so important. to, To the Israelites in the Old Testament, so only to Christians in the New Testament, the Lord says, here, I give you. You just receive salvation. It comes down to you. So different from any other religion which says, I achieve it. My own efforts, my own labors, my own merits, I will climb up. It's never that. So here, to God's people in the Old Testament, I've saved you. I've given that to you. Now, these words live this way. They will shape you into the people I want you to be. They're not rules, they're not really prescriptive. They are commands, but it's a bit more like a constitution. Here's some fundamental truths, and then we'll get into the detail a little later on. But ten broad words to shape a people. So two we can look at tonight, then second and third. Don't worship God as you fancy, but as He demands. Third commandment don't worship, sorry, you don't worship God when you dishonour his name. And then at the end, we'll say, look, you worship Jesus rightly by living for him. So second commandment then, don't worship God as you fancy, but as he demands. And we'll break it down a little bit. Don't make an image, don't worship an image, uh, and then the reason that's given. Let's read it again, The uh, this second word, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Don't make, don't bow down. Here's the reason. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't make, don't bow down, and there's the reason. Don't make then. Don't make for yourself an image now it's worth observing in the culture of the time, so in the ancient Near Eastern setting, people used to make idols, images all the time of their gods. They weren't just purely uh, aesthetic, or, or, or they viewed them in some way as a mediator. So they're making a carving, a wooden image of Dagon, the god Dagon, the false god Dagon. And they're thinking, it's a bit like a telephone. I want to speak to Dagon, so I'll go and speak to the idol, the, the image I've made, and that'll get me there. Or a bit like an ambassador. I'd like to speak to the French president, boof. Um, but uh, I can't speak to him, ooh la la, uh, He's too aloof but I maybe can go through his ambassador. That's sort of what an idol is in in that context, a a mediator, that's how people assumed in the culture of the time. To which the Lord says, no, 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 no. I have one mediator at the moment, that's Moses. The ultimate one is going to be Jesus. So don't make anything that you think is going to get you there. Now question, obvious question people always ask. Does that mean that God is anti-art? Don't. Make for yourself an image of anything in heaven above. it has got anti-arts, that would be a bit disappointing for uh, many of us here. The truth is, of course, if if you take it super literally, any photographs you've taken of any human being on your phone, you've broken the second commandment. Because that is an image. And tangentially, of course, that is how Muslim scholars take it. If you're a strict Muslim, you don't take any photos, and there's no artwork, which is why mosques will never have anything but sort of geometric patterns, etc., cetera, et cetera. Is that what God meant? No. You knew I was going to say no. No. For some obvious reasons, you have to say that. One, because... Certainly in the book of Exodus, straight after giving these commandments, he says, all right, I want you to build for me a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, can you carve some really beautiful angels out of gold? And Not carve them, make them out of gold. And um, I need you to, to weave uh, patterns of all sorts of plants and things into the tabernacle. And, and pictures of angels, we'll, we'll want them on the side of the tabernacle as well. So if God is anti-art, he breaks it within about half an hour. Um, so that sort of doesn't make sense. And of course, the setting here is important. Don't make in order to worship is the logic. Verse 9 follows verse 8. You don't make an image in order to worship something, to bow down. Don't make something as, a, as something you think will get you to God, a sort of mediator between you and God. Don't do that. Okay? Don't make. And then verse 9, don't worship. That is the primary issue here. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, of course, a classic example in the Bible is um, is in the book of Exodus when Aaron makes a golden calf. And you may know the setting, Moses, so uh, the, the Lord issues the 10 words in the book of Exodus to the people, and they go, we can't listen to you anymore. It's just too overpowering. Uh, Moses, can you come and mediate? And uh, so Moses is up the mountain speaking to the Lord. They all get a little bored and say, oh, Moses taking his time, and they make a golden calf. So it goes a bit... Um, Here's the account of Exodus 32. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, an image, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. Now leave that up for a moment. You see, that's not the first commandment because they're not worshipping another god. They still think they're worshipping the Lord, the one who's brought them out of slavery in Egypt. They even say, oh, let's have a festival to the Lord. But they worship him by bowing down to a golden calf. It's the classic example of breaking the second commandment uh, in the Bible. It's the worship of the true God by false means. Thanks, Dave. Now what's wrong with that? Well, just a little moment's reflection. We'll show you all sorts of things that are wrong with that. As soon as you make an image or idol of God, it diminishes him. You're sort of seeking to control him. And in the end, I think you end up worshipping yourself. Let me just, just a couple of sentences on those. As soon as you make an image, you diminish him. As soon as you carve anything, certainly physically. Look, imagine I decided physically, this is the Lord. Well, you say that's ridiculous. It's a panda. I know it's a panda. It's the only thing I could find quickly before the service. <laughs> I don't have many wooden carved gods at home <laughs> to bring in for you. But anything you made, leave, leave, um, leave panda alone. Uh, but uh, anything you know, anything you carve, as soon as you make something, it's pretty limited. What it is, you diminish the Lord, shrink him, make him less. It it's a sense to, to control as well. Panda is convenient. He doesn't make demands upon me. He fits into my life. In the end, most idols end up looking like this. It doesn't really work. But it's a mirror. They end up looking like you, because everyone makes a god that suits them, that fits them. You end up a bit like back to your burger god. I'll pick and choose, pick and choose, pick and choose. And any idol in the end comes a bit like you. So for centuries in the West, what did Jesus look like? He looked a bit like him on the wall. You know, very pale-skinned. I mean... Anyone. You can be an albino. You spend 30 years of your life in Israel. You ain't going to be that color. Do you mean? And it, it's a sort of strange pose, like this. It's like a ball boy at Wimbledon. You know, at Wimbledon, they give the balls out. And then when they've given out, they say, I've got no balls. I've got no balls left, says Jesus. So all the tennis balls are gone. I mean, it's a very, it's a very strange pose. But that's, that's what most, Pictures for centuries sort of ended up looking something like that. You, you, it's good, it's the night time. Otherwise, you'd see the, uh, the other picture of Jesus here, which is him, very modern, because he's doing this. He's like he's having a selfie taken. You, but, you, but you have to come in the morning congregation to see that. He's doing this, he's, he has his fingers up. Um, it's very strange. Now, of course, not many here, not many in the 21st century, carve, construct, sew uh, an image but the second commandment also covers our mental images, and that is the way which breaking of the second commandment is rampant. So I had um, saw a vicar uh, uh, for some reason, I had to go to his church last week, and he, of course we did the cause of the conversation. Coming from very different positions, he said, oh, "I can't, I can't believe in any God who condemns people for eternity. I can't, I can't believe that." Okay, well, there you, straight away you've just broken the second commandment. You're saying, "I'll accept some things about God, but the fact that he's justice means that not everyone gets into heaven, some are shut out in hell that, that I not can't, can't deal with it." Well, you've just created an idol. You've projected yourself and said, well, I, I'd like my God to be a bit more like how I think, please. Whenever anyone declares, Do you know, I, I like to think of God as... Then you've made an idol. You've diminished him. You've, you've sought to control him. You've projected yourself very commonly. And so someone will say, do you know, I I can't believe in a God who wants me to stay married when I'm not happy in my marriage. I believe in a God who wants me to be happy and leave. Well, that's convenient for you. I can't believe in a God who would say, I shouldn't at the moment have sexual intimacy with someone. I believe in a God who wants me to explore. Well, how very convenient for you. And people do that all the time. Isn't it funny how they end up looking just like you? I can't believe in a God who would say, not everyone goes to heaven. I, I, I want a God who shuts some people out, the really nasty people, but, it, but lets lots of people in. Oh, see, that's convenient. You, you want a God who has precisely the same values as you, who likes the same people as you, and dislikes the same people as you. You want you. You just held up a mirror and said, I want God to be me. That's making an image or an idol. Don't make for yourself an image. Don't bow down or worship them. In the end, much of it is just self-adoration, self-worship. There's the reason given. What do you make of that? Verse 9. For, because you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Pause on that. Jealous. Jealous for you, not jealous of you. Actually, the word most commonly in the Old Testament gets translated zealous, which probably has a slightly less pejorative meaning in the 21st century. Zeal can be good or bad. Uh, And jealousy can be good or bad. It's appropriate to be jealous of your children's safety. I am zealous or jealous that my children, you know, are not just on a school field trip, are allowed to wander out in the night and go and get drunk. I'm zealous for their safety. Well, that's good. Of course, there's bad zeal, but good zeal. But the Lord here is He's zealous for our good. What else does it say? I, the Lord your God, I'm jealous, zealous God. Oh, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, we need to be clear on that. That's not saying it's automatic. And it's not saying that automatically if a parent does something, their children will do something wrong, and their grandchildren will. Two reasons you can't read that. Particularly Ezekiel eighteen, that the Lord says explicitly that that is not the case. Ezekiel eighteen fourteen to eighteen, he says, "No, no, that no, everyone is no one, no one is punished for the sins of their fathers. No one is. You stand on your own." Also, of course, you'd have to say here, it, it, it is those who hate me, says the Lord. So there's nothing to do. It's only those who hate me, reject me. Are punished. So what, what does he mean? Well, I think it's simply that sin is generational. If you have a father who is a criminal, that will have an impact upon the children and the grandchildren. It just will. If you have a father who loves Jesus and models that to his children, that'll filter down to the grandchildren. If you have a father who hates any idea of the Bible, that'll filter down and filter down. I think that's what he means. But in the end, it's everyone stands on their own two feet before the Lord. And what do you think of hate? So if you make an idol, you're hating me. Again, it feels, feels a bit strong, doesn't it? And you'd probably think of it in these terms. There's a man and a woman, and they've been dating for a while. And uh, they get on reasonably well, so it seems. And the man says to the woman, Will you marry me? And she says, Well, maybe. I'll tell you what. If you lose three stone, and if you dye your hair a different color, and if you go to the dentist and uh, sort your teeth out, get them whitened, don't like them, and you'll have to change your accent because uh, I don't like it. Uh, it's a bit guttural for my mind. And you have to get a new job. In fact, can you retrain to be a vet? Because I always fancied marrying a vet. And can you, um, can you agree you'd never see your family again? Because to be honest with him, I think they're all ghastly. If you do all of those things, then I'll marry you. Yes, I will. I will. Now How does he feel about that? He might be thinking, hmm, do you like me? Because you're sort of just saying, I've got to change everything physically and, and, and career, and, and you don't... Mm, I don't know how this is going. You don't seem to have a sort of deep-seated affection for me in any sense. In fact, you kind of dislike everything about me. And that's the point here. He's are saying, yeah, I, I worship the Lord, but that's got to change, and that's got to change, and that's got to change. I need more of that and less of that. And can I just reconstruct you a little bit? The Lord's saying, That's not love for me. That is, you don't like me as I am and you want everything to change. Well, no. I won't accept you on those terms, says the Lord. The point of the commandment is you worship God as he reveals himself, not as you feel like, not as you fancy. You've got no right, none of us have got a right to pick and choose what God is like. He's told us. Let me just there are many ways you could go with this, but let me just make one particular point. Or There is a real emphasis in this regard in Deuteronomy, that God reveals himself in words. Big emphasis in the book. So if you were here last year when we looked at the frame of it, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the repeated phrase keeps coming up. You saw no form but a voice. When you met me, Israel, it wasn't visual, but you heard my voice. It's a very significant theme in the book. And of course, the Lord could have chosen to reveal himself in all sorts of pictures. I mean, he's quite good visually, you know, can part seas and, 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 and fire and thunder. He's good at all that sort of stuff. He, he could have revealed himself in all sorts of pictures. The Bible could just be a thousand pages of pictures. He could do that. That's not a problem for him. But he's chosen to reveal himself in words. And to be an evangelical, to be a Bible Christian means that you concentrate on the words of God in the scriptures. That's what it means. Because then you're confident you're seeing God and therefore worshipping him rightly. There is a richness to the Bible that stops us fixating on one sort of angle or or metaphor of God. I get example. Uh, I love uh, uh, chapter thirty-two of the book of Deuteronomy, the song of Moses. It's the sort of national anthem. He gives them. I'm about to die. Here's a great song, better than the song I sung you last week if you weren't here. Unlucky. I'm never doing that again. But uh, Moses gives them a great song to sing, the song of Moses, Deuteronomy thirty-two. It's beautiful. But the, the sort of most common uh, metaphor in it, the Lord is a rock. You can build your life upon him. You can trust him. He doesn't change. He's a rock you can really rely upon, which is wonderful. But if you only Think of the Lord as a rock, it gets a bit boring. He's just a rock. Well, even if you've got a PhD in geology, eventually, (laughs) eventually, you just might want something a bit bit more than that. But wonderfully, there are several thousand other perspectives on who the Lord is and what He's like. Even if you just fix upon the one, you diminish. And that's the problem with pictures that aren't filled out with the richness of scripture, they diminish him. Even the most common metaphors for the Lord. Now you get to the New Testament and rightly we're meant to think more often than anything else, the Lord is Father. He's Father. That's how he's revealed himself to us. It's what we, he is a father to us, his children, if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're meant to dwell upon that one. But again, if you only dwell upon father, you could go wrong. You might think middle-aged dad, dad dancing, father, and that don't work. So you need father filled out by all the other perspectives, Lord, majestic, all glorious. Do you see? That's why you need the whole scriptures. God has revealed himself in words. And when we relate to him as he has revealed himself, we see him rightly. We worship him rightly. But you do need it all. Worship God, not as you fancy, but as he demands. That's the second commandment. Uh, Thirdly, let's look at that as well. We won't spend quite as long. On, uh, on this, the third commandment, you don't worship God when you dishonor his name. Verse 11, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Misuses literally take the name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Don't treat God's name as a vain thing, an empty thing, a meaningless thing, a, a worthless thing. Don't treat God's name that way. Why? His name is, it's who he is. So his name is a revelation of himself. Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'll tell you my name. Show me your glory. Here is my name, because my name is my glory. And uh, uh, the Lord passes uh, in front of Moses. Moses is hiding away. But uh, the Lord passes and says, famously, we had it read at the beginning, Ben read it to us. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hello, God, what is your name? My name is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you ever have that experience where someone, hello, what's your name? And they tell you, and you say, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Um, Lord, sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't get your name. What is your name? It is, here's what you're meant to think of, compassionate and gracious, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's his name. How do you misuse it? I think you can do so in speech and in behavior. Briefly, in speech, to misuse the name of the Lord, yeah, this is the sort of things you kind of think of. Don't trivialize it. Don't just just chuck it out. Oh, my God. Um... That's just sort of tangentially, that was the famous, the, my, my favorite thing, ever done at one of the sort of honest questions evenings, sometimes you ask at the beginning, uh, if you came before God and had to, and were allowed to ask him one question, what would it be? And um, this one goes, very, very honestly said, well, I came before God, and I was allowed to ask him one thing. If I stood before the Lord and said one thing, I think I'd say, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is entirely relevant. but um, But that sort of, yeah, the the third commandment has that sense to it. Don't trivialize his name. Don't make oaths in his name elsewhere, Deuteronomy B. Don't make a pledge in the name of the Lord that you then break. Don't declare you're speaking in his name if you're not. That's a pretty severe one, Deuteronomy 18. You stand up and say, hey, look, the, the Lord is saying to us as a people, and it's not true. Well, you get severely disciplined. You die. So don't claim you're speaking for the Lord. Don't claim you got a prophecy from the Lord uh, unless it's absolutely true. So don't trivialize his name. There's that sort of sense of words. But actually, more common in the Old Testament is behavior. You misuse or you take the name of the Lord in vain through your behavior. So, because believers carry the name of the Lord, or for Christians, Jesus, with them, poor behaviour of a Christian dishonours, misuses the name of the Lord. So, to be sure we covered a place in the Old Testament. We got them. So Leviticus 18, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. Well, that's pretty despicable, but that's what the Canaanites uh, around Israelites were doing. Don't give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of the Lord your God. Take in vain, dishonor, misuse. Do you see it's their behavior dishonors his name? Or, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel 36 um, Wherever they went among the nations, says the Lord, the Israelites, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, oh, he's the Lord's people. Yet they had to leave his land. And he goes on to say, because they misbehaved. Their behavior was terrible. See, poor behavior dishonors the Lord's name. Because when you take someone's name, you represent them. Okay, we had a little letter home from, uh, not, well, not just our family, the whole, uh, everyone at school. You know, a dear parent of school child, uh, uh, there were some children on the la 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 bus violently using, using aggressive language and throwing stuff around and they have dishonored the name of the school. Uh, and, uh, we are, you know, we have detectives seeking the faces and the names of said children and they will be severely disciplined. La la la. We got that letter just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, because you misbehave, you dishonor the name of the school. Whose name you have taken. Yeah, there's that sense to it. I guess more personally, you're adopted, you take a family name, you commit a crime, you dishonor the name. That's the sense to it here. I'll tell you what was a miserable one. Uh, did you just pick up this up this a couple, uh, month ago? Uh, the uh, MP, Fiona Onasanya. She uh, was speeding and uh, got a ticket, but uh, tried to pass it off. So she was convicted in court of persistently and deliberately lying to the police to avoid a a speeding ticket. So suspended from the Labour Party, urged to give up her seat. She refused and uh, uh, sent a, a WhatsApp to every other Labour MP. I am a Christian. I'm currently being treated like Jesus, who was also accused and convicted by the courts of his day. Yet yeah, this was not the end of his story, but rather the beginning of the next chapter. Don't do that. I mean, that's dishonoring his name. I'm being treated like Jesus. Apart from just, he was innocent and you have been clearly convicted with my evidence uh, that you've lied. So there's a difference. Uh, don't, don't do that. And don't say, I'm like... I mean, it just makes Christians and therefore looks stupid and therefore dishonors the name of the Lord. So the application for you and for me would be, look, if you're a Christian, you don't take the name of Jesus. Don't take his name unless you're living for him. Do you see again the cohesion of the commandments? If you lie as a Christian... You've broken the second commandment, excuse me, the third commandment as well. you've dishonored his name. If you commit adultery, you have sex outside of marriage as a Christian, you've broken the third commandment, you've dishonored his name. If you steal as a Christian, you've broken the third commandment, you've dishonored his name. Do you see how they all just you can't pull them apart? these commandments? So if you dishonor his name? In your behavior, well you, you've broken this third command and I don't know. Maybe tonight you, you just want to pause before you go home and confess that. I mean many of us, most of us, all of us, maybe. but certainly if you're conscious of doing that at the moment, living in a way which is clearly contrary to what Jesus wants, and bringing dishonor to him. Well, maybe confess that tonight and change. Don't worship God as you fancy, but as he demands, as he's revealed himself. You don't worship God when you dishonor his name. Let's finish this. You worship Jesus rightly by living for him. Second command, then you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath. But of course, God has made an image of himself. He did so in Genesis chapter one. He made man and woman. In his image, humanity is meant to be a picture of what God is like. Of course, we've blown it. Uh, All of us still image God to a certain extent, but the image of God is marred in us, broken in us because of sin. But there is one man, of course, who has imaged God perfectly. We read of him before, or just at the beginning of the sermon, in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus, of course, is the image, the exact image of the invisible God. And if you want to know what God is like, of course, you look at Jesus. And you read lots about him. As soon as you read, I don't know, John 11, I am the good shepherd, what happens? You have an image of Jesus in your head. You can't not think shepherdy type things, retrieving, rescuing, feeding, caring. You have that image in your head and look, that's okay. The Lord has given you that. It's not one you've made yourself. But you need that image filled out by other images of Jesus. So again, you don't just restrict him, contain him. You need the, others. I know even the other sayings in John, that I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine. You need to, uh, you need to uh, listen to my words and obey me. Or the picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, which is just overwhelming in its power. You need to have all of them in one sense. Or you, you need to just keep reading the Bible. How do you, how is, what's the best way, the most likely way to keep commandments two and three? It is just to keep going back to the scriptures. And so who God is, he tells us, he reveals it. He feeds the thoughts we have, the view we have. We don't construct our own shrunken, diminished, much like me, God. We worship the true God as he reveals himself to us. So you turn to the pages of the New Testament, oh, guess what? Jesus is the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love. Well, of course he is. You're still reading through Luke's gospel. You're still on the church reading plan if you're doing that, the New Testament reading plan at the moment. Friday, wonderful. Luke 14, and Jesus says, do you know what the kingdom of heaven's like? It's like a massive banquet. I'm preparing a banquet for you. So you, you find yourself thinking, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to obey the commandments of Jesus. I don't want because um, I think sometimes he's de- denying me some fun and he's mean spirited and, and he's restrictive and, and, and wants to hold me back. And then, then you read Luke 14 and say, no, no, he's a God who is generous, who gives, who's preparing a feast. He's not one who holds back. You see? How do you keep these commandments? You turn back to look at the image of God. The image of the invisible God. You keep turning back to look at Jesus. And as you see who he is, you don't only worship the right God, rightly, but you think, yeah, I want to obey him. You know, I see. Even the stuff I wasn't so certain about at first. I see him. It's very wonderful. You see him as he is. And then you'll honor his name in your life. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we thank you that we're not guessing, but you have revealed yourself, so we know exactly what you're like, and it's a glorious picture that you are the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Yes, you're jealous, you're zealous for our obedience, because it is for our good. Father, we confess, we so readily want to shrink you diminish you, belittle you by making you into gods in our own images, projecting ourselves. Father, we confess that too often we dishonor your name in the way we live. Our behavior is not making people say, look at their God, Jesus must be wonderful. We thank you that you're compassionate and gracious. Father, help us as we turn to Jesus, as we turn to the image of the invisible God and look upon him, would we be conformed to become more like him? Would we see him truly, worship him truly, live for him obediently, we pray. We ask it in his name. Amen.